You're listening to a podcast of local news from the County of Suffolk in the United Kingdom. This is brought to you by the St. Edmundsbury News Talk Association, a UK registered charity. Hello and welcome to the 1943rd edition of St Edmundsbury News Talk for the 25th of August 2023. The editor of this edition is Mary Grenville, the producer is Ruth Hill and your readers are Chris Payne and Adrian Grenville. We should also mention our processing team who work hard behind the scenes to copy and dispatch this memory stick to you. We'll commence with the headlines. Man dies after plane crashes. I won't forget date, rape, cop. Manhunt after fake gun threat. Calls for rethink over pylon plans. A man in his 70s has died after a plane crashed into a field in a village between Holstead and Sudbury. Police, fire and ambulance crews were called to the incident near the A131 in Pebmarsh at about 9.25 on Monday. A man in his 70s, the sole occupant of the aircraft, was found dead at the scene. Officers continued to work alongside investigators with the Air Accidents Investigation Branch to establish the circumstances around the incident. A road closure has been put in place in Pebmarsh Road and it is expected to remain in place overnight and into Tuesday while these inquiries continue. A spokesman for Suffolk Fire and Rescue Service said crews from Sudbury were assisting colleagues from Essex County Fire and Rescue Service at the scene. A spokeswoman for Essex County Fire and Rescue Service said on arrival firefighters reported that a light aircraft was on fire. I won't forget date, rape, cop. Newmarket man was Met Officer. A rape survivor who was attacked as a 16-year-old while on a blind date with a Metropolitan Police Officer in Newmarket had to relive her worst nightmare three times in court. Lauren Taylor, who waived her right to a nominee, finally saw justice more than a decade on from sacked officer Adam Proven's attack. Proven had lied about his age, saying he was 22 instead of 31, and raped Miss Taylor in a woodland after she agreed to a blind date at a cinema. She said, I remember holding on to a tree. I was kind of hugging the tree like emotional support, pretending I was anywhere else in the world but back there. Proven, who was a serving officer at the time of his offending, was jailed for 16 years this week after being found guilty of a series of rapes spanning eight years. Imitation firearm threats sparked a huge armed police call-out to a Suffolk town. Officers were first called at about 5.30pm on Tuesday to reports of an incident in the area of People Park Way in Sudbury. The call-out is believed to be linked to further incidents in the vicinity of First Avenue. It was first reported to police that a man made threats towards other people while suggesting he was in possession of weapons, included a suspected imitation firearm. However, no one was physically assaulted. 
A number of police units were dispatched to search for the suspect, including armed officers, which is standard where the presence of weapons is suspected. The search was later assisted by a National Police Air Service helicopter. No arrests have been made at this time. Inspector Ben Hollands, local policing commander for Sudbury, said, Incidents such as this are not common in Sudbury and there is no ongoing threat to the community. We are treating this as an, as an isolated matter, involving people who are, who are known to each other, so do not believe there is any cause of concern to the wider public. However, we understand the distress this incident has caused to those involved and that there are also children impacted. This type of behaviour will not be tolerated and I urge anyone who has information that could assist us to contact the police. Calls for rethink of a pylon plan. The pylon opposition group has slammed National Grid for arrogantly pressing on with its consultation in the face of a government review. The controversial plans would see 50 metre tall pylons built along 110 miles of countryside along the Suffolk and Essex border to carry power from the wind farms. Opponents have described the pylons as a monstrosity that will damage the countryside and have called for an offshore grid to take cables from wind farms rather than passing them over land. However, the government has now ordered a review which will consider alternative locations for transferring the electricity. But a spokesman for National Grid said, we need to progress the project in parallel to the electricity systems operator study to be able to meet the government's ambitious target to connect 550 gigawatts of offshore wind by 2030. If recommendations from the study indicate alternative options to securely and affordably connect this clean power, we'll review and engage with the impacted communities appropriately. To delay in the meantime would jeopardise efforts to supply greater energy security and lower bills for Britons. Cathedral Award, one of Suffolk's most popular cathedrals, has been recognised by visitors and received a TripAdvisor's Award. St Edmundsbury Cathedral was named 2023 Traveller's Choice Award winner. The award celebrates businesses that have consistently received great traveller reviews on TripAdvisor over the last 12 months. Only the top 10% of visitor attractions around the world are given this prestigious award. Sarah Friswell, St Edmundsbury Cathedral's Visitor Experience Manager, said, We strive to offer the very best experience to our visitors. This award is recognition of the efforts of our volunteers, who do such a wonderful job of making all who visit us feel welcome. The Dean of St Edmundsbury Cathedral, Joe Halls, calls the sanctuary a place of contrast, which provides room for quiet and intimate reflection, as well as gives a chance to come together as a truly inclusive community. The building was set up in the 11th century and rebuilt in the 12th and 16th centuries as a parish church before it became a cathedral in 1914. Residents on the Sudbury housing estate are calling for a water company to act faster to fix a pipe that has been leaking for more than two weeks. 
According to residents of First Avenue, the leak began two weeks ago and was reported to Anglia Water, who visited and put out a sign stating work was to be carried out. The leak has turned into a footpath into a stream between homes, numbering from the 20s to the mid-40s. But despite frequent calls from the Springlands Estate residents, Anglia Water has scheduled the work for Monday, August the 21st, which homeowners have said is just not good enough. Councillor Alice Nowen, who represents the North West Sudbury on the Bayburg District Council, said the water leak in First Avenue is unacceptable. Anglia Water allowed this to get worse, failed to stop keeping residents updated, and once again we feel Springlands is not being listened to. I also have environmental and health and safety concerns as this continues to escalate. Anglia Water paid handsomely to sort this sort of thing out. They need to pull their finger out. While one resident said the water appears to be fresh and does not smell, another pointed out to a brown sludge-like substance seen in the shallow stream. Others have voiced fears that someone may slip in the water and have said they're worried that the stream will continue further into the estate. A Sudbury 18-year-old who is set to serve as a paratrooper has been handed a prestigious award at his army graduation parade. Jacob Willis, a former Colchester Institute student, celebrated the completion of his Phase 1 training with a pass-off parade at the Army Foundation College in Harrogate, where he was named Best Infantry Soldier. Of the award, he said, I was very happy to hear. I had won, but I never expected it. I've really enjoyed Harrogate. I've made some great mates. Living outside, with only the basics to survive, brought us all together as a group and strengthened our friendships. The parade marked the end of months of intensive training, nurturing and education tailored exclusively to 17- and 8-year-old soldiers. During the course, junior soldiers are taught the basics of soldiering, including how to look after their kit, how to fire a rifle and other military exercises. The training also furthers their education, including English, Maths and Information Communication Technology, BTEC, and soldiers with additional learning needs are supported. Jacob's parents, Richard and Tracy, are themselves ex-military, with Richard serving in the RAF in intelligence and Tracy in the Royal Army Medical Corps. Next, Jacob will undertake his Phase 2 training at the Infantry Training Centre at Catterick. A fraudster who defrauded creditors out of £765,000 is being urged to hand himself in. Wayne Parker of Milton Hall was found guilty in October 2022 of obtaining more than £765,000 in credit from suppliers. During a hearing in July... Ipswich Crown Court heard he presented himself as a legitimate livestock owner, which allowed him to be given credit by a number of companies. He often made no attempt to settle his debts, and when he did, repeatedly sent out cheques that would bounce. Parker was due to be sentenced at Ipswich Crown Court on February the 7th, but failed to attend the hearing. An arrest warrant was issued after he failed to appear in court for his sentencing hearing. Parker also had an appeal 
that has conviction was unsafe, rejected at the Court of Appeal in London in early June. Since going on the run, Parker has been known to use the dating site Match.com has also been hiring cars in a bid, it is believed, to avoid detection by the police. He has links to West London, with his last known address being in Feltham. However, he has carried out work across Suffolk, Norfolk, Cambridgeshire and Surrey. Recent intelligence suggests that he may also be working in Wales and there are links to him being in Somerset. Two MPs have thrown their weight behind calls for safety measures at a notorious accident hotspot. Joe Churchill, Member of Parliament for Bury St Edmunds, and Matt Hancock, Member of Parliament for West Suffolk, are calling for assurances that safety measures are being put in place at Fishwick Corner between Ruffham and Thurston. Residents in both villages have been increasingly concerned about the number of accidents at the crossroads as they wait for junction improvements promised by Bloor Homes, which is building 210 homes in nearby Baton Road. Mrs Churchill said Fishwick's Corner has persistently posed challenges as a problematic junction. There has been even more pressing with the increase of housing development in Thurston and surrounding villages. While an upgrade to the crossroad junction is anticipated upon the commencement of Bloor Home site development, there is no clear timescale on this. Given the compounded challenges posed by the A14 roadworks and the increased village traffic, I am advocating for somewhat attentive for the somewhat attentive date of summer 2024 to be solidified by Highways England and, if feasible, expedited. Residents have emphasised the need for improved signage and additional speed controls on all four approaches to effectively forewarn and caution drivers. I have written to Highways England urging them to prioritise these improvements to avert any future traffic incidents at Fishwick Corner. A Highways England speed van has been deployed in the vicinity since my communication and I am due to meet with them again shortly to discuss further measures. Mr Hancock said, I've taken this matter to Suffolk County Council and I'm optimistic that necessary measures will be swiftly implemented. Ukuleles Band Hospital Fundraiser An Elmswell-based Ukulele band has recently raised over £500 for West Suffolk Hospital's neonatal unit through a series of concerts. The 28 members, Wesley Ukulele Band, has handed over £578 in proceeds to My Wish, the hospital's charity. My Wish was selected by band members Phil and Cathy Stabler, residents of Badwell Ash. The couple are long-standing supporters of hospitals and health services. This began 30 years ago after they lost their one-year-day daughter, Cara, who was repeated at Whittingham Hospital. Mr Stabler said raising money for the neonatal unit, the campaign is very dear to my heart, especially after I lost our daughter, and we've been raising money ever since we lived in Hertfordshire. A state closes a popular Suffolk estate and Sunflower Picking Field was forced to close temporarily following an overnight break-in. 
the Ruffham estate near Bury St Edmunds was set to have its final day of sunflower picking on Sunday, after a really successful summer season. However, these plans were scuppered after some thieves broke into the sunflower field last night and stole generators, ripped down the gazebos and threw everything else around the site. A social media post announced the incident. We can't open yet, but we are doing all we can to open at midday today. Both folk about and face it art are very much affected too. What a last day. We are really sorry to disappoint those who are hoping to visit this morning. We are shocked and devastated. This was the second significant break-in in Suffolk in a week, with the Bewell Barn in Reddingfield also the target of significant damage and theft. A cafe owner was overwhelmed by the reaction when she reopened the doors of her venue this week. Ali Barker was greeted with queues on Tuesday when she reopened Folk Cafe in Fordham St Martin, which is now trebled in size. The popular cafe has been closed for a month while the works took place. It now seats 150 people instead of the previous 50. A private dining room will be opened in September, along with a new shop and deli. The expansion has created 10 jobs, with staff numbers rising from 22 to 32. Ali said, It just went crazy as soon as we opened the doors. We're pleased so many people have taken an interest and come to see us. Business leaders have said they've been left upset after a fire broke out in a Bury St Edmunds dessert shop, causing it to temporarily close. Police and fire crews were called to a blaze at Casper's Desserts in Bury St Edmunds at about 8.45pm on Sunday. The Cornhill Eatery was closed on Monday and a spokesman said it would remain shut until further notice. Mark Cordell, Chief Executive of Bury St Edmunds Improvement District, said, I was very upset to hear this news, but I'm pleased that no one was seriously hurt. But no doubt it was quite frightening for the staff who were working. It appears that there has been some physical and smoke damage to the ground floor, and hopefully this will be dealt with promptly, and the restaurant will be up and running again in the not-too-distant future. A police cordon was put in place after the fire broke out, but was removed on Monday. The road remained open throughout the incident. Midwife launches new baby classes. A new service for patients has launched to offer a support for mums and dads throughout the birthing journey. The service, called Bloom, has been launched by midwife Lottie Holder, who also has a string of other qualifications to her name. Lottie, 27, is also a qualified pre- and postnatal fitness instructor, antenatal educator and breastfeeding counsellor. Lottie said, I qualified as a midwife in 2018, and all throughout my training I realised that women often lack the vital support they needed during their pregnancy and postnatal journey. This inspired me to step outside the hospital walls and support in the field, leading me to create Bloom. With Bloom, my ultimate goal is to provide a nurturing and safe environment where mothers and birthing partners can participate in informative, enjoyable and empowering classes. Lottie provides support and assistance to women 
throughout their entire prenatal journey from conception to the postpartum period. Bloom runs a selection of classes tailored to individual needs. They can be one-to-one sessions, group gatherings or virtual meetings via Zoom. Lottie is currently holding fitness sessions at the Blue Wave Studio in Risby Business Park. Now we come to the letters page and my first one says change this unfair pay rule and this has been written by Arthur Pooley of, Bri- of Blybra. How many people know that employers are allowed to pay migrants just 80% of the usual rate for a job in shortage occupations? This means, for example, that civil engineers can be recruited from abroad for just £28,000 a year, compared to the going rate of £34,000 a year for UK citizens. Why should foreign labour be allowed to undercut our homegrown workers thus? Why do we put up with our employers taking advantage of people desperate for work? A Migration Advisory Committee, which advises ministers on immigration policy, called on the government to scrap the 20% discount on the basis it creates a perverse incentive for employers to recruit from overseas. Before Brexit, we could recruit from all over Europe, and our neighbours worked and our neighbours' workers were treated like our own. If this dirty exception was more widely known here in the UK, most people would urgently require its cessation. Sudden closure of Jim was brutal, writes Simon Harding from Berries and Edmonds. Now the dust has settled a little, how many more brutal, insensitive and uncaring actions will Sports Direct stoop to to get its own way? I refer to the instant out-of-the-blue closure on August the 6th of the Sports Direct Health Gym and Wellbeing Centre on Morton Hall. The 3,000 members, some severely disabled with their own carers, were given until 4pm on August the 11th to collect their belongings, only when arriving to be told they'd been dumped in already collective waste skip. The dedicated staff, always welcoming and not judgmental on members' abilities, are being treated by sports directors as second-class citizens and kicked out onto the unemployment pile. Members ignored by the owners had been prepared to pay £24.99 a month membership, a rise of 25% to cover the increase in running costs, with provisions as those members who could not afford the extra. In January, our councillors on the planning committee, to their enormous credit, went against the officer's advice and voted unanimously to keep the centre open, recognising the major benefits it made to the community. Let's hope our councillors hold their resolve and do not accept being trampled on by big businesses as the saga progresses. On August the 12th, the sports centre was secured and boarded up with black sheets, a perfect canvas for graffiti. My next letter is written by John Dell of Shotley and he says safe routes are best way to stop boats. Isn't the best way to stop the boats crossing the channel to give those who get in those boats an alternative and safe method of applying for asylum to the UK? They then wouldn't have to take the desperate and risky step of climbing into those boats and trying to cross the channel. 
the french government has offered to host the uk government establishments where asylum seekers could apply for asylum safely these used to exist but were closed down if asylum seekers could apply in those establishments and get quick decisions rather than wait for years as those currently in the uk have to do they would know their status and wouldn't need to risk their lives in inflatables in addition there are no reasons why they should be blocked from entering the uk apart from perhaps due to violent or criminal past if they have something to offer the country they could still apply for a work visa and we do need them given that the latest figures suggest we have a million job vacancies low unemployment a rapidly increasing number of people with long-term health issues due to the impact of covid and an aging population it seems extremely short-sighted to look this gift horse in the mouth these are young people keen to work it's frankly daft against our own interests and not a little inhumane to act as we are Put solar panels on all suitable roofs, writes S. Hardy from Woodbridge. I totally agree with Martin Dayton, letters August the twenty, that it would be a statutory requirement to install solar panels on all suitable roofs. He suggests this would generate more electricity than Hinkley Point. The campaign to protect rural England recently stated that putting solar panels on all appropriate roofs would generate as much electricity as 10 Sizewell seas. I assume such a reputable organisation will be able to back up such a statement. I understand there is currently a problem in connecting all generators to the national grid and there is a considerable backlog. Rooftop generation would considerably alleviate this problem as locally generated electricity could be used locally. This would also create many good jobs, could be started right away, and if coupled with installing proper insulation, where needed, more jobs, would provide a much cleaner source of electricity than nuclear, leading to lower bills. Why are politicians so wedded to covering good agricultural land with solar panels? David Webb of Sudbury says, no mow road danger. Read your front page headline of mow anger will not stop councils. And that was East Anglia Daily Times of August the 15th. About two months ago, I was driving from Ipswich to Sudbury. I passed Wolves Wood on my right and then approached the roundabout for Hadley. Turn, Hadley. Turn left or Sudbury straight on. This roundabout was covered in weeds and herbage to a height of five to six feet. I had no vision to my right of cars coming into Hadley from Sudbury via this roundabout due to this mountain of herbage growing on the roundabout. In fact, creeping across this roundabout, a car appeared from my right, not at all visible. Does the County Council consider the safety of motorists at all? Or do insects take priority? I think the attitude of the Green Party also needs sorting out with all this no-mow policy, especially with verges and roundabouts. True cost of a cashless society. No doubt the move to a cashless society is going to have its benefits. Businesses will not need to cash up, saving time while making income more secure, with no chance of money going missing in the shop by whatever means. 
The end of cash-in-hand work will ensure the taxman receives his dues and demands. However, for some, the issue remains problematic. We hold regular bits and bobs sales in our local village hall. We aim to recycle, selling items of small value for 20 pence, 50 pence and a pound. So, using a card would not be practical or viable. Cashless would also lead to the demise of the piggy bank, the charity box and the tooth fairy. It will be more difficult to give money to the busker, the homeless person on the street and to sell at car boot sales. A solely digital currency will make us dependent on Wi-Fi, the internet and our phones. All great as long as they are working. There are those who are not tech savvy or who are tech poor will not be able to function. We will not be able to buy or sell anything with privacy and our spending preferences will be shared more widely for commercial purposes. With no alternative, what percentage fees will the card companies then charge traders? That is presuming that you have not already debanked for expressing the wrong opinion. On balance, I'm standing in solidarity with the tooth fairy. Uh, my next letter is from Paul Courage of Barton Mills, and he says, Council's not helping with litter problem. I write in the hope that your paper can support complaints about the inability of the Milton Hall or West Suffolk Councils to deal with the massive litter problem in their area. At the age of 85, I regularly go round picking up litter, but many of the previous litter bins have been removed, particularly beside the River Lark and on the recreational ground. Furthermore, the bins in town and around are frequently overflowing. How can people take pride in their surroundings when the authorities could not care less? Advantages of pylons I bow to experts in engineering, electromagnetic fields and economics. However, may I add to the wildlife points? Certain log-burning gentry would be overreacting about pylons via viz wildlife. And I lean towards the views expressed by Paul, Greater Opinion, August the 10th. In view of rural communities' phlegmatic attitude to inconvenience of rural life, like muck and cockerels, why be precious over clean energy, except where dwellings are physically encroached on? I'm a huge fan of Chris Packham, who famously cares passionately for the planet. Packham's view on pylons and wind turbine was recorded in 2013 by an online site which quotes him saying The landscape where I live could not be described as beautiful because there's pylons running through it. These pylons run all the way up to a very large power station. I walk in the area. I don't even notice them unless I look up and see a bird's nesting on them. So, we have a feature in our landscape we do not find attractive, but we do not actually get used to it. I've no doubt the wind turbines will be the same in future. I've no sympathy at all for any nimbies who say, we don't want that ugly thing in our backyard. You will not have a backyard if you do not have these ugly things somewhere. My only hope is that over land, the urgent conduction of renewable energy will at least be 
better protected in any future international conflict than in the seabed and reduce impact on already stressed marine life. Don't stop thinking about tomorrow, as Greenpeace and Fleetwood Mac advised. So wrote Audrey Naylor from Ipswich. My last letter is written by Susan Briggs of Bury St Edmunds, and it's lovely because it's a very complimentary letter. And she says, shopping centre team are unsung heroes. As a resident of Bury St Edmunds, I would like to say a big thank you and job well done to the ARC team of men and women who are always in evidence, either cleaning litter, picking up, or generally cleaning and caring for the ARC shopping, shopping area and people therein. They do a great job, are unsung heroes, as is the council gent gentleman who cleans the market square so well with the giant vacuum cleaner. Please know, all of you, that your hard work does not go unnoticed. Marking World Plant Milk Day World Plant Milk Day, August the 22nd, is an important day for animals and the environment. The global dairy-free milk market is predicted to be worth billions of pounds by 2027, and more people than ever will be ditching dairy this year and enjoying alternatives made of oats, soya, nuts, peas and more. Life for the UK's 2.6 million cows exploited on dairy farms is miserable. Cows are repeatedly and forcibly impregnated via artificial insemination, only for their beloved babies to be taken from them, and all so that humans can consume the milk that nature had intended for the calves. The females would likely follow the same sorrowful path as their mother, and the males would likely be slaughtered for veal at six to eight months old. Only humans consume the milk of another animal and continue to drink milk beyond weaning age. And using cows to produce dairy is not only unnatural and cruel, but also terrible for the planet. The industry makes up around 8% of total human-caused methane emissions. Given that methane emissions are one of the most significant tr contributors to global warming, this is wholly unsustainable. With England having experienced its hottest June in almost 180 years, and the world on the brink of climate catastrophe, now is the time to manage our speciality. Let's end the exploitation of gentle, intelligent cows and make every single day World Plant Milk Day, writes Elisa Allen, Vice President of the Programmers, P-E-T-A. Now we're back to some general news. A popular food festival is set to return to Bury St Edmunds this August bank holiday, promising a bigger and better event than ever before. Our Bury St Edmunds Food and Drink Festival will take place on Sunday, August the 27th and Monday the 28th and will include stalls selling everything from deep-fried oreos to edible flowers. The event is free to enter and includes a stove's cookery theatre where chefs and drink specialists from some of Suffolk's favourite restaurants including 1921, The Angel, Ice, Lillian's Kitchen, Still Good Food, the wine cellar and giggling squid will take to the stage. The event is organised by the Business Improvement District organisations, our Bury St Edmunds. 
Chief Executive Mark Cordell said, this has become such a key event in the foodie calendar. Now that we have stallholders from as far as London and Cambridge booking their places as, as well as many well-loved traders from Suffolk and nearby market towns. I'm delighted that so many of our member businesses are using this opportunity to showcase what they do. Relative newcomers including Cookie Barista, The Wine Cellar, Peckham Primal, sorry, Peckham Primal 8 are all involved with the event, as well as Papiki's Deli and Beautiful Beers are a long-standing feature of the festival. 62-year-old woman pleads guilty to arson. A 62-year-old woman has pleaded guilty to reckless arson over a blaze which gutted a house in Bury St Edmunds. The fire took place in Cannon Street on July the 4th. It tore through a terraced property, forcing a major response by the fire crews. However, nobody was harmed in the incident. Deborah Lumley Holmes, herself a Cannon Street resident, was arrested and charged with starting the blaze shortly after. On August the 14th, Lumley Holmes' defence barrister appeared before Ipswich Crown Court to enter a plea on her behalf. The defendant has accepted the charge of reckless arson, although she did not herself attend the proceedings. She will now be sentenced on September the 4th. A resident has condemned a council for failing to maintain a towpath along the River Lark, complaining that overgrowth has ruined her favourite dog walking route. The path in question begins just off Old Mill Lane in Barton Mills and continues on down to Milton Hall. Trish Homer, a dog walker who has routinely used the path over the years since the situation there has grown intolerable. She said there was little space left for users. Mrs Homer first noticed the problem in June this year. She said it used to be that you could walk two or three people across along the path and there would be plenty of space for passers-by. Now it's just a single track with nettles either side. If somebody's coming the other way, there's nowhere to go. Mrs Homer said the footpath was popular with walkers and the overgrowth issues were, as a result, having a negative impact on the wider community, limiting accessibility for ramblers. She said, my dog is injured and I can't take her anywhere else. She doesn't like the car, so I walk her along the riverbank every day. So do an awful lot of my friends. Suffolk County Council was approached for comment, but has not responded at the time of going to press. Dyslexic author Bo Ten holds a book signing. A dyslexic ten-year-old from Beck Row recently penned a picture book and she is now able to engage with her readers up close to book signing. Bo Coppersmith wrote and published Lily's Extraordinary Adventures with the Assistance of a Tutor. On Monday, copies were handed out at a book signing held at the Coppersmith family home. Little Extraordinary Adventures is available to buy now at tinuri.com backslash 2 pxnhsw. Okay, now we have a feature, and the sec- it's the secret history of a tranquil beach. What is now one of Suffolk's most tranquil and secluded beaches used to be a top-secret military base. 
orfordness has grown in popularity but you but do you know about its military history its first involvement in military activity began soon after the war office agreed to its thirteen thousand five hundred pound purchase in nineteen thirteen the two thousand acre site was prepared as an airstrip with the first squadron setting off for manoeuvres in ireland the following year after the first world war broke out the nest took on a more experimental role with tests on bombing um, aerial photography and later on the use of machine guns and parachutes much of the work was fraught with danger and several young men lost their lives the experiments continued throughout the war and beyond through lethality and vulnerability trials which sought ways to destroy enemy aircraft more efficiently eminent figures present around this time and into the second world war included sir henry tizard a scientist who worked with robert watson watt on radar and professor bennett melville jones who went on to become chairman of the aeronautical research committee bombing ballistics took on new significance with the coming of the atomic age with the ness again playing a pivotal role from 1954, Orford Ness was a major player in Britain's nuclear deterrent. The Atomic we Weapons Research Establishment took over more than half the site. It created a research facility to test the ballistics of bombs when dropped and the elaborate trigger mechanisms needed to ensure they detonated. By 1972, however, the Ness's, Ness's military role was drawing to a close and it began to fall into decline this is a feature written by columnist martin newell plans to shut railway ticket offices is reminiscent of the beaching cut train operators are proposing a mass closure of railway ticket offices partly because of the furore that this has caused a consultancy period has now been extended till next month People old enough to remember the beaching cuts of the 1960s are listening to the current proposal to these changes made six days ago which culminated in the loss of 5,000 miles of railway tracks at numerous railway stations. It's very easy to get misty-eyed about the railways and many of us frequently do. The vestiges of deep and long embedded romance between the people of these islands and our railways remains. Incidentally, well, I'm here. May I just remind everyone, the place where we go in order to travel by rail is not the train station. In the UK, it should be referred to as the railway station. Where was it? Ah, yes. The romance of the railways. Practically as soon as our railways are running, authors began incorporating them into their stories. When we consider trains, remember Dickens, the signalman, and Edith Nesbitt's The Railway Children, we think of the film Brief Encounter. We recall the Beatles' 1964 film The Hard Day's Night, which featured railway journeys into the fan hysteria awaiting them in London. When we sit down to watch the Titfield Thunderbolt during the dying days of December, a lump may come to many a manly throat. This is because our railways still lie only in the few chart places beyond the NHS in some hearts. When my mum was a teenage messenger girl during the early years of the Second World War, she sometimes travelled by train between her workplace in St Albans and Fleet Street in London. 
One winter evening, returning late, she took the last train out of St Pancras. She had a bad cold and unwisely was swigging a strong cough mixture from a bottle. She fell asleep on the train. Mr. Stop was woken by the station master in Bedford, which was the end of the line. Alone on a station platform, miles from home, feeling groggy with no further trains until morning, she in her own word, in dead stuck. Station masters in those days were usually resident in station houses, which came with a job. This kindly station master took my young mum into his house. His wife made her some tea and they put her to bed in the spare room. The next morning the station master saw her onto a train home, telling the guard what had happened and asking him to look after her. Hard as this my story might be to imagine nowadays, it nevertheless occurred. Railway stations are totemic locations, places not just of mass transit, but of human interchange. Present within the smirling mass of travellers passing through them will be a significant proportion of insecurity, confusion and unfamiliarity. There is an essential and unconvertible need on railway stations for fixed hubs of information, assistance and authority. Such places should be open and manned for every hour when the station is operative and still skeleton-staffed even when not open. It's completely unacceptable that railway bosses can even contemplate getting rid of ticket officers and station staff under any circumstances whatsoever. It doesn't matter how modern and efficient that modern technology becomes, places of transit and human interchange involve people, and people require other people to assist, inform and protect them whilst they are within the station's perimeters. I would imagine the idea of doing away with ticket officers and their staff would have been cooked up by certain of the glinting-eyed higher shareholders who are moved in to railways post-privatisation. In the wake of Covid lockdowns, the work-from-home trend and the railway union's industrial actions, these shareholders will undoubtedly have felt the pinch. Some bright spark suggested that now we all own smartphones, we should move boldly forward by becoming our own ticket masters. This is apart from the five million of us who aren't yet online, and blind people, and people of restricted mobility, and certain senior citizens, and overseas visitors, and recent migrants, etc. I do not have any words or expressions, employable in a respectable newspaper, for the people responsible for suggesting that we remove ticket officers and their staff from the majority of our stations. What do these people think will happen when we replace ticket officers and their staff with a few assistants vaguely strewn around station concourses like Lego minifigures on a cheap train set? I realise this matter may seem trivial compared to climate emergency and all the other items at the top of the BBC's miserable index, but it could well prove to be a salient factor in bringing down this benighted government. Now we're back to general news. And my next article is, um, Police apologise after 1,250 people's data is breached. 
More than 1,200 people had their data breached by Suffolk and Norfolk police forces over a year, including personal identifiable information on victims, witnesses and suspects, an investigation has found. The data was leaked in response to freedom of information requests for crime statistics issued between April 2021 and March 2022. It related to a range of offences, including domestic incidents, sexual offences, assaults, thefts and hate crime. Both forces have apologised and will be contacting 1,230 people whose data has been breached. Long running open garden events is back for its 41st year. Walshamley Willows residents are gearing up for the return of a successful long-running open gardens event next weekend. The 41st open gardens is on August the 27th and 28th. As well as more than 35 gardens and open spaces, visitors can enjoy music, a market, art sale, light snacks, lunches, teas, cakes, a barbecue and pizza experience, licensed bar and vintage and classic vehicles. Entry is £8, free for the under-16s. A family-run caravan shop is to close after 40 years. A family-run caravan and camping store is set to close this month after more than four decades serving customers in West Suffolk. Haverhill-based M&M Leisure, which has been owned and run by Graham Bashford for the last 40 years and was previously run by his parents in Mildenhall, will shut its doors at the end of the month. The shop has sold new and used caravans and caravan accessories, as well as camping equipment and other outdoor supplies, over the decades. But Mr Bashford has now made the choice to retire, after two health scares. Mr Bashford said, I've had two heart attacks in recent years and my way of saying it and my way of saying it is I have decided to stop before the ticker stops. I'm not jumping for joy, it is quite sad really, because I've been in Haverhill for forty years and it's a family business started by my mum and dad, who opened it in Milden Hall in nineteen seventy six. Chance to see broken items in use again at Repair Cafe. A repair cafe in Berris and Edmonds is returning next month. After the success of the first repair cafe, which saw eight volunteers repairer work their magic on more than 30 items, the event returns to the town on September the 9th. From 11am until 2pm at the Unitarian Meeting House in Churchgate Street, the pop-up event will see a group of volunteer repairers inviting members of the public to bring in something to repair. Other volunteers provide food and drink. The aim of the cafe is to prevent people throwing away things which could be fixed to educate people on fixing items and giving them the confidence to have a go themselves. Repairs could range from straightforward bike punctures to treasured cuddly toys or complex electronics. The first repair cafe saw a faulty dancing lobster brought to life by Paula Harbour. Alistair Taylor took the project on and got the lobster dancing again to Paula's delight. For information or book a slot, email repaircafe.bse at gmail.com. 
a town man charged after a fatal crash. An investigation is underway into the actions of Suffolk and Norfolk police prior to a fatal road crash involving a vehicle stolen in Newmarket. The accident happened on the A143 in Norfolk on Sunday, August 13th. A 28-year-old woman died after an Issen Duke she was driving was involved in a collision with a Land Rover Defender. Prior to the crash, police officers had been following the Land Rover, which had been reported stolen in Newmarket. Aerial footage from National Police Air Service showed the driver of the Land Rover turned off the A143 road onto a side road. Police officers attempted to stop the vehicle and activated their lights. However, it failed to stop and was pursued by officers through a field. It then rejoined the A143 where it hit the Duke. Two men appeared in court on Thursday in connection with the crash. Marcin Jabalowski, age 43, of Carlton Colville, faces five charges, including causing death by drivers dangerous driving, while Thomas Urbanic, aged 26, of All Saints Road, Newmarket, has been charged with aggravated vehicle taking. They were remanded in custody to appear at Norwich Crown Court next month. Three jailed. Three men have been jailed for more than two years after admitting producing cannabis. Suffolk Police carried out a series of raids in Red Lodge, near Newmarket, in June. Baskin Dukey, 37, of Hundred Acre Way. Iden Lullet, 35, of Blackthorn Close. Gator Aney, 50, of No Fixed Address, were charged with producing cannabis. The trio pleaded guilty to the offence at Ipswich Crown Court. Dacqui and Garter were jailed for six months, while Lalia was sentenced to 12 months. There are many award-winning restaurants in Suffolk where you can get a quick bite to eat at lunch or enjoy a full three-course meal for dinner. The Michelin Guide includes restaurant reviews conveyed through the summaries of inspectors' experiences at the restaurants. Here are some of the Suffolk restaurants featured in the Michelin Guide. Number one is Upstairs at the Mill. Where is it? Tuddenham Mill, High Street, Tuddenham, IP 286SQ. Team of chefs create menus inspired by the Suffolk countryside using local produce. The second one is the Pack Horse Inn, where it's in Bridge Street, Malton, Newmarket, CB8 8SP. Food offered from breakfast through to dinner is inspired by season and soil. The third one is Peas Porridge, where it's at 28 to 29 Cannon Street, Bury St Edmunds. IP 221JR. Pea Porridge is the only Michelin star restaurant in Suffolk. The menu changes daily and features North African, Middle Eastern, and Mediterranean dishes. Fourth is Maison Bleu, where it's in 30 to 31 Churchgate Street, Bury St Edmunds, and it's at IP 331RG. The cooking is French at heart but does have some modern and Asian touches. The fifth one is of the Leaping Hare. Where is it? Wickham Vineyard, Stanton, IP31 2DW. Food on the menu relies on seasonal ingredients, many of which come from their own farm. 
finally finally number six is the brewers where is it lower road rattleston and that's ip30 o-r-j the menu changes regularly to reflect the best that suffolk has to offer care home requires improvement a milton hall care home has been rated as required improvements after safety concerns for residents health were identified after conducting the inspection the care quality commission concluded that mabs hall care home requires improvements in its service as the residents, among others, were at risk of inadequate fluid nutritional intake. The report reads, People who are cared for in bed spend significant periods in sedentary positions without mobilising. We noted gaps in repositioning records of up to 12 hours. Where a person was on a fortified diet due to the risk of losing weight and malnutrition, the risk was not detailed with adequate advice for staff in the personal's nutritional care plan. There are a high number of staff who did not speak English as a first language. Some people and staff told us this was concerned because basic communication with those staff was not possible. The inspectors also found that some medicines had been opened, were in use, but had the prescription label removed. They also had not been dated when opened, which meant there was a risk they could have been in use for longer than their expiry dates. The report continues. People looked comfortable and had a good report with staff supporting them. Staff received training in safeguarding and had an awareness and understanding of how to recognise abuse and the responsibilities to protect children. Most relatives told us they felt their family member was safe living at Mabs Hall. However, some also expressed concerns about safety due to the staffing levels. We are coming to the end of this edition of St Edmundsby News Talk. If you have any comments about the memory stick or difficulty playing it, please use the fun phone number on the pic sheet which you have been given. Alternatively, you can put a note in the pouch when you return the memory stick to us. We would like to acknowledge our appreciation to the Berry Free Press, the East Anglian Daily Times, the Haverhill Echo and the Newmarket Journal, from whose pages most of our items have been taken. News Talk will be back again next week. So until then, from Ruth, Chris, Mary and Adrian, goodbye. it's goodbye. been listening to a podcast brought to you by the St Edmundsbury News Talk Association. You can view more information about News Talk on our website at www.stedmundsburynewstalk.org.uk. The music in this podcast was provided under Creative Commons license by Scott Holmes. This podcast was created entirely by volunteers in our Bury St Edmunds studio.